0: Uh, there's two Bible readings for today. Uh, so turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 18 to 20 for the first Bible reading. Uh, that's Matthew 28, starting from verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our second reading for today is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, So turn with me to the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, starting from verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word.
1: Thank you, Alan, uh, for that reading. A big warm welcome to everyone here. Uh, this is a much smaller crowd because of the um, uh, recent restrictions. Uh, but in a few weeks' time, in a very few short weeks' time, we will be able to regather all as one and uh, we'll see this whole packed again. And what a difference that'll be. Um, so, looking forward to that day and hope we're all looking forward to that day as well. Um, big warm welcome to everyone uh, live streaming at home with us uh, today as well. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors of the church, along with Ben, uh, who is on leave at the moment, visiting uh, another local church in the area uh, as well and gathering with the saints there. Um, a couple of quick things uh, in terms of today's uh, sermon. Um, if you are live streaming in and tuning in for the first time or one of the first times, um, big warm welcome to you. Um, we've been going through a series in our church at the moment on our values and, core, our values and vision. Our core values, the things that we as a church value together, uh, culminating in a couple of weeks' time in our church vision. Uh, normally, as part of our diet um, of sermons and teaching, we prefer ex- expositional preaching, working through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding its uh, context and primarily its point and purpose to apply to us today. And uh, we're going to be doing that after this short series um, is over. And we'll be diving into the book of Ezekiel together, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, For now, though, um, with this particular sermon, a bit more topical, uh, a number of the passages will be flashed up onto the screen. But do keep your fingers there in Matthew 28 and Ephesians 4, as we'll be glancing through that together uh, in the sermon too. Now, if you've downloaded the bulletin and you're in the habit of taking notes, please also note that point one in the bulletin is a bit longer than I've uh, allocated space there. Uh, for notes, so just in case you're taking lots of notes and wondering if this sermon's going to be two hours long, uh, that's what's happened there. For now, let me pray and ask God to bless us as we consider this important topic. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we give you thanks so much for today. We thank you that this is a topic that is near and dear to your heart, uh, near and dear, that should be near and dear to our hearts as well. And so we ask, Father, that you'd bless our time here as we consider and reflect on this topic and what your word has to say, and we pray that you'll convict us from your word to be disciples that follow you and to be a part of discipleship as we uh, help others to follow you too. So we ask, Father, that you'd bless our time and help me speak clearly uh, and help us do all this for your glory and our joy together in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone is a disciple. We are all followers of someone or something being shaped and moulded into the image and likeness of another. So whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a free thinker, a Buddhist, whether you're an athlete, a PC gamer, a parent, a grandparent, a student, a professional consultant, an Apple or Android user, we are all being discipled by something or someone. So for instance, a few days ago, I saw a video of one of our teens at our church, Chris. He was doing running sprints with weights strapped behind him. That is not Chris, by the way, uh, but that's roughly what he was doing. Uh, And it's all part, he was doing that as part of training his body to be faster and stronger. But I suspect, strongly, I think correctly, that he had to be taught how to do that. He had to be shown how to strap himself up properly and safely. He had to be shown to use the right equipment. Uh, He had to have his running stride and his form corrected so that it would minimise potential injury and maximise power. And all of that information doesn't necessarily come naturally. I don't think it was genetic. I do think that if Chris hadn't been taught all these things, he would still be a fast runner, but maybe not as fast as he could be. He had to be coached, or in the language of our passage or our topic today, he had to be discipled into the likeness of a faster sprinter. Now, the tr- the same is true in all spheres of life. While, while there are some things that we've learned and grown in ourselves, most of what we know had to be taught by us to us. Uh, we've then had to practice what we've learned and changed a bit of who we are. Sometimes this is good, like for Chris and his sprinting, or uh, or for us when we're maybe learning to cook something new. Sometimes it's neutral with no particular moral significance, like learning how to properly wash rice before to cook it. But before we go on, let's quickly define what discipleship is. Let me suggest five core things about what discipleship is. Five things that uh, the Bible says about discipleship. Firstly, discipleship is about following. The first command of Jesus to his disciples First disciples was simple. Follow me. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18 says this While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the command of Jesus here as he meets total strangers is astounding. If you or I walked up to strangers on the street and said, Leave your small business, leave your accounting firm, leave your retirement lifestyle, and follow me, I can guarantee you a very low success rate, perhaps a zero success rate. Of course, the big difference between us and Jesus is that Jesus is, well, Jesus. Uh, when he called people, they followed. When the great shepherd spoke, his sheep recognized his voice and responded immediately. Uh, Peter and Andrew left their jobs. James and Zebedee uh, brothers left their father and their small business. These men turned their backs on the world to follow Jesus, to give their lives to learning from Jesus, living with Jesus and promoting Jesus to all they met. See, following Jesus requires turning our backs on everything as a priority in life. Jesus becomes central, the focal point. Our personal desires and wants are secondary to what Jesus desires. Jesus calls this denying yourself and taking up your cross. Secondly, Discipleship is therefore the entire life of the believer. Uh, Turn in your Bibles again to Matthew 28 with these very well-known verses, and I want us to observe a few things here about what being a disciple is all about. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." A few weeks ago, when we looked at the mission of the church, we saw that it was to make disciples. That is the big imperative in this passage, and it's a continuous, ongoing action. Right? The work of making disciples has not finished. There is no retirement age when it comes to making disciples. We saw that making disciples has two parts to it, immersing people into an understanding of the Trinitarian God, and secondly, teaching how to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Now, an interesting thing to note as you're reading through the rest of the New Testament is that the word it does, the rest of the New Testament doesn't use the word disciple or discipleship. Uh, outside of the Gospels and Acts, the word disciple completely drops out of usage. But the twin ideas of immersing people in understanding the Trinity and obedience to Jesus' commands is everywhere in the New Testament. It is the pattern of nearly every epistle in the New Testament. Usually you get in the first part of the epistle outlines who God is and what the Father, Son, and Spirit have done in the Gospel. And then in the second half, you usually tend to receive the instructions on how to live in response to that first half. You are instructed on how to obey, and it's a pattern familiar through the whole entire Bible. Firstly, what God has done. Secondly, what, how we are to respond. The point of all this is to say that when you look at this great commission from Jesus, you'll see that it is the entirety of the life of a believer. Our identity is wrapped up in this, in knowing Father, Son and Spirit and listening to their word and obeying them in our lives. So the first two points, discipleship is about following Christ and secondly, it's the entire life of the believer. The third thing to say about what discipleship is is that it's about maturing in Christ. We know God and obey his commands with the ongoing goal of maturing in Christ. Now, here's where we turn to Ephesians 4. But before we read that again, some context. In the first three chapters uh, of Ephesians, Paul has outlined the incredibly massive grandeur of the gospel, how in God's sovereignty and his kindness and his grace, he has saved sinners, reconciling them to himself and to each other. The gospel of Jesus breaks down the dividing barrier between Jews and Gentiles, bringing peace between them. And so, in chapter 4, Paul opens with a massive plea for church unity, calling on this church to unite together in love for each other, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, next week, We'll be looking a little bit more about unity and the value of unity. And again, we'll be exploring this passage in Ephesians 4 in a little bit more detail. But as we open up our passage, let's make just a few observations as we briefly look at the passage. So have a look again at verse 11 of the passage, and you can see the people that Jesus gifts to his church. And it's a wide variety of teaching gifts, right? So you've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Then in verse 12, you can see what these gifts are for. And they are to equip and to train, which is part of discipleship. To equip and train, to disciple fellow Christians for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. So these teaching gifts are given to the church to disciple Christians for the work of ministering each other and for the building up of the church. And then in verse 13, you see the result of all this training and building up. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you see it there. Unity and maturity. Again, we'll look at unity a little bit more next week. But maturity, see again here, maturity as the goal of discipleship. Maturity as measured against the stature and the fullness of Christ. If you have a piece of tape and you're trying to work out if it's a meter long, you measure that against a ruler or a tape measure. If you want to test if you are mature in the faith, then you measure yourself against Jesus. The aim of every disciple is to mature their faith, to not remain stagnant, to not remain like a baby or, a child or childish in their faith. We will all mature at different rates and different speeds, but we should all be maturing, showing some sort of growth. Our knowledge of the Father, Son, and Spirit should be deeper this year compared to last year. It should be richer because we know the Scriptures better. It should be Deeper, because our prayer life and experience of his grace each day is more profound. Our obedience should be growing as we repent and wrestle with more of our sins day to day. So, to recap, discipleship is about following Christ. Discipleship is about the entire life of the believer. And discipleship is about maturing in Christ. Now, I'm going to pull a bit of a bend here and uh, give you two other brief mentions of two other things about what discipleship is. I just don't have time to tease these out because you know we could spend a whole sermon series on them. And in fact, we actually did. Uh, the first, the th- fourth point here, which is this next point, uh, I want to point us back firstly to the church website and encourage everyone to listen to the Union with Christ sermon series that we did a few years ago. Because the fourth point I want to make about discipleship is that discipleship is empowered by our union with Christ. Okay, Jesus didn't save us, get resurrected and ascend to heaven and then leave the job of discipleship to us alone. Right? He sends his spirit to indwell within us and unites us to himself That mean, and that means every faithful step of progress that we make is by the power of Christ's union with us. It guarantees, here's the thing, it guarantees that if we put in the effort, maturity and change will happen. Final point: discipleship is continuous until the coming of Christ. You will never stop in growing in your knowledge of God and your repentance, your need of repentance and obedience. I heard the story, I think, a few years ago. I think it was of Broughton Knox. Uh, Broughton Knox was one of the most influential Sydney Anglicans um, in the early 1900s uh, to the uh, mid-1900s. Uh, had a massive influence on Sydney Anglicans. In some ways, is the reason why the Sydney Anglicans remain faithful uh, as an evangelical denomination globally compared to many other Anglicans. And he was also the principal of Moore theological college, the college that Ben uh, trained at. Now, upon his retirement, Broughton Knox, of Broughton Knox's retirement, he was asked... After so many years of faithful service, how are you going to be spending retirement? And his answer was profound, in repentance. That's so true. None of us graduate from the need to repent. None of us graduate from the need to know God deeper in our heads and our hearts. None of us rise above the need to actively listen to and obey God's word. Discipleship is continuous until the return of Jesus. So, what is discipleship? Recapping again, discipleship is about following Christ. It's the entire life of the believer. Discipleship is about maturing in Christ, empowered by our union with him. And it is continuous work until the return of Jesus. Now that sounds like pretty serious stuff, and it is. And I think it's great and right and biblical that we value discipleship as one of the core values of our church. So in the next part of this message, I want to briefly explain why we should be involved in discipleship and then give some practical examples of how we can be involved. So let me briefly explain why we should all be involved in discipleship. Let me give four reasons why we should all be involved in discipleship. And the first two we've already covered, but again, are worth repeating. Firstly, because Jesus makes it central to our lives individually and corporately. Again, picking up from the Great Commission, the mission of the church is to make disciples. We should all be involved in discipleship because the Great Commission was given to all believers, not just the apostles. Every believer carries on this work of making disciples until the fullness of God's kingdom is complete. Second, we should all be involved in discipleship because the New Testament makes discipleship central. To our lives, the flow of the gospel story is that we are sinners saved by grace, brought into a reconciled relationship with God, united with Christ, into a church, brought into a church family, that we might live holy lives of growing maturity and unity until the second coming of Jesus. This pattern of grace flowing out of good, into, flowing out into good works, is again the pattern of the entire Bible. According to the pattern of the Bible. Discipleship is a central priority. We are to know God and then to obey him. So two big reasons why we should all be involved in discipleship. Because Jesus makes it central to our lives and because the rest of the New Testament and the Bible makes it central to our lives. Now those two reasons can be pretty self-directed. Yes, I think we know that we should all be personally growing as a disciple of Jesus. But let me give two further big reasons why we should be a part of discipling other people towards maturity in faith. See, it's one thing to receive. It's another thing to give and to serve. The third reason why we should all be part of discipling other people is because people are what will last into eternity. Those of us in Christ will grow old and weary in life, but in heaven neither moth nor rust will destroy them. The thief cannot come and snatch them away. Discipling someone else means being a part of the process of ensuring that the person in front of you perseveres in the faith, that they will cross the finish line in part because you have cheered them on in the race. I mean, how many of us have benefited immensely from the encouragements, the rebukes, the exhortations and friendships of those around us? How much of that has been used by God to spur us on in the faith? Over the past 10 years, there's been a resurgence in trying to understand what the Bible says about the topic of work, right? Work, which is an outsized part of our week, right? Whether we're working or a student, it dominates our time and our energy. And I think much of what has been written over the past 10 years has been quite helpful But I do think that discipleship of others, serving others by discipling them and being discipled ourselves, has been missing from a lot of that discussion on the topic of work. But if we are convinced about the centrality of discipleship in our lives, if we are convinced that people are worth investing into because they last into eternity, then we will make every effort to minister to each other in and around our work life. Now, it sounds like a lot of hard work. And there is a cost to discipling others. Right? There's the cost to your personal time and energy, the cost to doing other good things that you might need to say not yet to because you're committed to discipling someone else. But The fourth and final reason should be that we should all be involved in discipleship should then energise us on. It should uh, fuel us on in discipleship despite the cost. The fourth reason is this. There is great joy in serving others by being a part of their lives and watching them grow through life. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians this. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now, the letter to the Thessalonians is dripping and saturated with joy this was a deeply personal letter for paul because he was writing to a church for which he had deep personal affection a church which you can see here in these verses brought him incredible joy paul and like paul we too get to share in that same sort of ministry joy what makes discipleship worth the cost is that those we invest in become, in a real God-glorifying sense, our glory and our joy. At the end of this year, I will have completed 10 years of pastoral ministry with SLE Church, which means that I'm due for long service leave as well. Um, 10 years, on top of the years I spent training in college and doing ministry apprenticeship and the general lay ministry before that. Now, I can count the deep disappointments of ministry, of leading, uh, discipling men and women who have failed and turned their backs on the faith. But I can more readily count the joys of seeing people like Simeon and Audrey uh, and Matthew and Helen who first came to our youth group, our teens group uh, as teenagers. And there's David sitting right there too. He was one of the, the first batch of teens who had joined the group. Right? Seeing guys like Simeon and David and Matthew come into the group. Right? We started SALT in 2008 with six boys. And I looked at these boys and went, wow, how are we ever going to get girls into the group? Right? Just, just <laughs> just really... But then to see these guys, to teach them the Bible week in and week out, to see them grow, to disciple them through university, to then equipping them to serving and leading and teaching the Bible and then in recent years marrying them. I can point to the long relationships I've had with people like in the first service, like Rutan and Amanda, who I've had the privilege of not only calling members of our church, but also friends and encouragers of the faith. I can vividly remember Kylie sitting before me, filled with joyful tears, having proclaimed Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour for the first time. I can remember the joy of hearing uh, small words of encouragement or random lines in my sermons that have caused people to bow their knee to Jesus. I can share the deeply difficult conversations I've had with some people, and yet also the joy at watching them repent as they try to live more earnestly for God. I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one who can share a story like that. I know many of you listening can share encouragements and joys uh, that you've had as you've met with someone regularly or in fellowship, or even in your own home groups over the last three, four, or five weeks. Discipleship is hard work, but it has riches of joy to be shared, joy enough to cover the cost, joy enough to spur us on in building each other up. Friends, I hope you can see that there's no way around this. Everyone should be involved in discipleship. If you call Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you will want to grow and mature for yourself and you will want to be keen to help others to grow and mature as well. But how do you do it? If we agree that we should all be a part of it, how can you get involved? Now, before I get to some of the practical, let me firstly address some people watching. I know there are some people who, who know that they haven't been involved and maybe don't want to be involved. Now maybe one reason, I know for some people, one, some re, one reason why they're hesitant to meet up with another person for discipleship is because they've been hurt relationally in the past. Someone or a church or a fellowship group has broken relationship with you. They've burned that friendship and it makes you hesitant to want to start another one. I know others who are hesitant because they've, been burned out in ministry they've experienced the ministry pace which has outstripped their ability but they were asked to keep pushing to keep pushing through or they or they kept pushing it through out of obligation but the fatigue didn't change and eventually became too much and so they the idea of re-entering into that world is just they don't want that experience again now in both of those cases i completely understand why people would be hesitant And let me encourage you that it might require and it might be helpful to sit down with one of the pastoral counselling members, team members of our church to work through these issues. Please don't let the hurts of the past steal away your future joy. Satan has a victory when discipleship doesn't happen and he relishes when gospel joy is robbed from believers. So please, speak with someone to help you through all that has happened. So then, okay, let's get practical. How can we be involved in discipleship, especially when we're not used to it or not familiar with how? Uh, Let me start with four basic principles. I've been giving you lots of numbered things, so here's another one. Let me give you four basic principles before moving on to practicals. Four Four principles. First principle, believe that the Bible calls everyone to maturity in Christ. We have to start here. Let's be real. If you're not convinced that Jesus says being his disciple is central to our lives, well, then you're not going to do anything about this. Now, that may be another reason why some people haven't been involved in being discipled or discipling others. There is just a lack of conviction here from the Scriptures that discipleship is the entirety of our lives. And there has been a lack of conviction about the desire to invest in other people. So the first principle is worth bearing in mind. Let the Bible convince you that discipleship is something to be valued. The second principle should come as no surprise. Commit to praying about this. Pray that God would grow you as a disciple. And pray for opportunities to grow others as disciples. Pray that God would help equip you through the means of our church and other resources to serve the saints. Pray that you would reach out to your non-believing friends and family and so fulfill your part in God's mission. Pray and pray always. Third principle, get equipped. Now, if you feel hesitant to speak or ill-equipped to disciple another person, then get equipped. As you saw there in Ephesians chapter 4, it's the role of your pastors and the teachers in the body of Christ to equip everyone for this work of ministry. At the work of discipling others is a work we all share in. It's not just the, work of, the sole work of the pastors. Principle number four, commit to church and fellowship. Discipleship is not a solo hike up a mountain. Discipleship cannot fruitfully happen without the help of the body of Christ. You need regular Sunday services to build you up as a follower of Christ and you need your fellowship groups and uh, regular commitment and interaction in your fellowship groups among fellow believers to build them up. There are four basic principles. Let scripture convince you of your need for discipleship and pray about it. Get equipped and commit to church and fellowship. So, some practical ways to be involved in discipleship then. Now, some of what uh, comes next is built on these principles, and some of it comes from the nearly from the 10 plus years of pastoral experience that I've had. And I'm sure that if you ask Ben and others, they'd offer more bits of advice as well to give. But here, so this is not an exhaustive practical list, okay? First practical advice, a bit of advice, is to remember that not all, not all discipleship relationships need to be formal. But there are heaps of informal opportunities to disciple other people. And this is all the more crucial as we regather together as one church, as one body together in the same place. See, one of the best informal ways to disciple other people is through what we call the ministry of the pew. At the pew, the, those big long seats that Huayan, Tango, and the Chinese side sit on during their services. The seat that you sit in during the service. Now, if you've done the Bible study, Six Steps to Loving Your Church, this should sound very familiar. So, what is the ministry of the pew, the ministry of the chair that you're sitting in? It's the ministry of encouraging people by turning up early to the service, not just on time, not during the second song but early, arriving early so that you can pray about where you're going to sit, so that you can pray and ask God to help you meet someone new to encourage them. Right? It's the ministry of uh, singing heartily during the songs as an encouragement to those around you. It's the ministry of listening to the sermon intently, conscious of your facial screensaver, of whether or not you look bored or distracted or if you're actually really engaged. Now, Having a look around the room here, pretty engaged, some bored. That's okay, right? And importantly, after the service is finished, using the time afterwards to speak with the person next to you and engage with what you have just heard in the Scriptures from the sermon and in the service. Right? That's why we've built up this particular habit of uh, discussion questions and staying behind to discuss them and pray with those around us. The ministry of the pew, week in and week out, is of vital importance to our church life. And it will be crucial again in the, to be active in this when we begin regathering in full, hopefully in the coming weeks. Informal discipleship also happens over morning tea and coffee, and unfortunately in this season of uh, the pandemic uh, and COVID restrictions, we can't quite have that yet, but informal discipleship can also happen over lunch. One of the things I've heard on feedback that we've received uh, from a wide variety of people, one of the positive feedbacks that they've enjoyed about church-at-home groups is that you really do get to know people really well and encourage them over a period of four or five weeks. Now, when we regather together, that idea of getting to know someone well and encouraging them can still happen, but it will take a lot more effort on our part. But imagine that. Imagine making a beeline to someone for a month and doing your best to briefly catch up with them week after week after the service is over to see how they're going, to see how your prayers for them are being answered. A church filled with members who are actively seeking out each other, remembering prayers for each other, and rejoicing in God's grace with each other's lives. Wouldn't that be a place that you would love to be at? But informal discipleship only goes so far. right? Formal discipleship takes things further, deeper, and more personally. It's when you tap a person on the shoulder, or maybe two people, and say, I'd like to meet up with you. I'd like to train you for a task. I'd like to equip you to lead. I'd like to encourage you in your growth. And sure, you may not use those exact words or speak them out loud, but it's definitely what you're thinking. Formal discipleship can be either peer-led or an older Christian leading a younger Christian. You can read a good book, a good Christian book together, but the best thing is maybe simply to have the Bible open in front of you. Prayerfully reading through books of the Bible together. Working out its point and purpose from the context, prayerfully applying what you read together while also catching up about each other's lives and seeing how God is at work in both of you. So, some further tips on how you can do that, uh, how formal discipleship can work with another person. Uh, Tip number one choose someone of the same gender. Uh, Discipleship is intensely personal and uh, revealing, it is meant to be transparent and honest. Uh, Which means that discipling someone of the opposite sex can then be fraught with some misunderstandings and temptations. So choose someone of the same gender. Number two, formal discipleship works better if you can commit to an extended period of time together. Right? After I think about after about six months of catching up with someone, you really begin to get to know them better and better. So think with that time frame and beyond. Right? Shorter disi- formal discipleship can work as well, but that tends to more work around short, sharp bursts of training or evangelism with some, something like Christianity Explained. Number three, don't be afraid to ask. If you're a young Christian, don't be afraid to arrow someone older and ask them if they'd be keen to meet up with you. If you're an older Christian, don't be afraid to tap someone on the shoulder and see if they'd be keen to be met up with. The worst they could say is no. No which then might lead to a further conversation about why not. And as that conversation gets deeper, hey, before you know it, you're actually discipling them. Number four, make plans. Whip out your phones, mark your calendars, block out regular time to meet up. Weekly is great. Fortnightly also can. Regularity is the key to help with consistency and your ability to watch each other grow. And then number five, when, when you're together, uh, don't spend all your time just catching up. I mean, sure there is, make sure that there is good time to read the Bible and to pray together. I mean, last week's sermon on prayer was so convicting and challenging. I've been convicted to make prayer a larger part of my time together with people. So plan your time together as well. And if you've only got an hour to meet, set that, say that clearly, and make sure the expectations are clear. Number six, rinse and repeat. Keep it going. So, again, those tips again. Pick someone of the same gender. Commit to a good period of time together. Don't be afraid to ask. Make plans on when and what time to meet. Make sure your time together has good Bible reading and prayer time. And keep at it. Keep persevering together. Now I'm sure there are more questions uh, to ask, so feel free to let me know what further questions that you might have. SLE Church values discipleship. We value it because Jesus made it central to our lives. We value it because the Bible, the New Testament, makes it central to the life of believers. Discipleship is a source of ministry joy as we invest into the eternity of other people. So let's all get involved in every way that we can. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and this encouragement and perhaps rebuke. And we ask that you'll use it to continue to help us as a church value, uh, value discipleship, to value what your son makes central to our lives, to value what your word makes central to our lives. Help us to do this, that we might encourage each other and mature together, that we, as we continue to measure ourselves against your son, will grow in his likeness as we love and serve each other, as we forgive and reconcile relationships, as we, um, as we build each other up and as we grow in our knowledge, as we grow in our awe of you, as we grow in good works, we pray that you'll help to do all of this for your glory and our joy. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.